Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. In the 90s, New York detective Louis Garcella locked up the worst criminals. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it. Then jailhouse lawyers took aim, led by Derek Hamilton. Garcella took me to the precinct and lied. 20 men eventually walked free. Now... In the Burden podcast, after a decade of silence, Luis Garcella finally tells his story, and so does Derek Hamilton. Listen to the Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Ron Barr, and this is today's edition of Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast on the Eight Side Network. When you think of the biggest sports upsets, there's the Red Sox three nothing comeback against the Yankees in the ALCS that led to a World Series sweep of the Cardinals. In 2004, in football, the Jets beating the Baltimore Colts in Super Bowl number three. But in the biggest, certainly in boxing, was the heavyweight championship title fight in 1990 between Mike Tyson and Buster Douglas in Tokyo. Douglas was a 42-1 to underdog, and the Mirage was the only casino to give odds for that fight. Buster Douglas joins us on Sports Byline. Buster, if you're a Heisman Trophy winner, a football Hall of Famer, or an NBA MVP... There's a lasting feeling and image associated with being that to say that. You were the heavyweight champion of the world. What's that feeling and image? What does it mean to Buster Douglas? Well, the childhood dream come true. You know, I was an amateur fighter, and uh, my father was a professional fighter. We had a lot of boxing magazines in the house, and uh, always in the center photo was a picture of a champion with his belts on. It was always a dream of mine to accomplish that. <clears throat> and then to succeed at it was just a remarkable moment. Let me go back to where it all began. Tell me a little bit about growing up in Columbus, Ohio, in the predominantly black Linden neighborhood of Windsor Terrace. Well, the Linden area wasn't Windsor Terrace. It was always associated. My name was always associated with Windsor Terrace because my father box for Windsor Terrace Recreation Center ran by the city of Columbus and uh, he was the first national Golden Glove champion in Columbus and he won the Golden Gloves in Chicago. Um, but uh, I lived uh, a little ways from there. I grew up in the Linden area and um, you know, really I was really passionate about basketball even though I competed as as an amateur at the age of 10 in Columbus, Ohio, winning Golden Gloves and State Fair Championships. But my really passion at the time was basketball. Yeah, I know you were a pretty good basketball player. You led the Linden basketball team to the state Triple A title, and you played in college as well. Was there ever a conflict between you wanting to play and be a basketball player or a boxer? No, it wasn't a conflict. You know, it was just as the seasons changed. I just changed uniforms. I played a little baseball as well. I was just trying to stay busy and try my hand and everything. Then I ended up coming back to boxing at uh, 21 and turned pro. 
Speaking of that, you mentioned about your dad being a boxer, a professional boxer. William Dynamite Douglas, what was it that he first told you about the sport of boxing? Well, I learned it pretty basically. I always got introduced to it at birth. <laughs> you know, so growing up in a household with my dad being a very competitive boxer, you know, it wasn't too far of a leap for me to try it. So when I got to be a 10 year old, he took me into a gym that he ran for the city of Columbus, Black Brown Recreation Center. And, uh, Took me in there, and I tried it and liked it, and it just went from there. You made your boxing debut on May 31st, 1981, as you defeated Dan O'Malley in a four-round bout. What did you learn about yourself in that fight? Well, it was something that I was really uh, excited about, looking forward to trying it, and got a taste of it and got the victory, and and just kept, kept, kept on from there. You were managed by John Johnson. He was a former Ohio State assistant football coach. I think about that, and it makes me shake my head a little bit. Tell me about how that relationship developed. Well, it was a thing that I was with my dad when I first started. And it was probably about, I was maybe 12 or 14 fights into my career, and I felt that I needed needed some more different management. And John, I, I was talking to my uncle about it, and he told me, Uncle J.D. McCauley, and he told me about mentioning John Johnson. And um, he introduced me to John, and we talked about it, and came to terms, and I uh, decided to move on with John Johnson. Was he an assistant football coach at Ohio State at that time? Did he do two jobs? Well, he had just uh, he he was maybe maybe a year before that, but I, by by the time we got together, all he was working with this with the uh, state with the juvenile detention uh, centers. So he won, had kind of moved on. By you won your was, after after he uh, got through being a coach at Ohio State. You won your first five fights, but then in your sixth fight against David Bay, he knocked you out in the second round. Now, a fighter's first loss, particularly by a knockout, leaves an impression. What did that fight leave you with? Determination. I was even more determined to. I knew I could do it then because of the circumstances that led to that happening. I knew it wasn't my ability that led to that. It was just a bad miscalculations. So, you know, I was even more determined. And then, of course, after after losing like that, you know, it wasn't too hard to get fights because once they see you go down like that, they're more, more easier to get fights because they know that, you know, you can get beat or whatever, you know. It's like everybody's scared of the goose eggs, but when you got a loss, it's more reluctant to fight you. Another critical moment in the early part of your career, Buster, was the fact that... Uh... After the loss to Tucker, Tony Tucker, several disagreements, you split up with your dad, and it kind of shattered your family. Why did the family react the way they did, and how did you ultimately bring them back? Well, it was just a thing of, uh, you know, people you know, had different feelings and emotions. Like Some agreed with me, some didn't. But moving on, moving forward, you know, they found out that it was the right decision, and uh after seeing me change in my career and get more determined and 
and more fit, so to speak. You know, they seen that it was a positive direction after all. And that kind of, the action itself turned a lot of heads, changed a lot of minds, so to speak. Yeah, you handpicked another team for yourself, particularly a new trainer, and then you went on to win the next four fights and went on to a fight against Trevor Burvick or, and winning by a unanimous decision. What makes a successful fighter-trainer relationship? Well, just communication and get along, feeling comfortable, because the last thing you want to do is go back to a corner in the middle of a war if there's a fight and have to sit down and look into the eyes of somebody that you're not really comfortable with. You know what I mean? Where you want to fight them or something, you know, but you're somebody that you feel they're comfortable with, and when they say stuff to you that in the heat of the battle that you can feel comfortable that they're telling you the best for your career, so to speak, you know, career, or telling you the right things and you feel comfortable with their advice because, you know, it's the best thing you can do is go back to a corner and not feel comfortable between, you know, slugging with the individual in the ring and then having to go back and take instruction with somebody that you're not too comfortable with. I've always wondered about matchmaking. In other words, matching one fighter against another. Tell me what the art of that is. Tell me about bringing along a fighter. Well, you just bring them on, try to pick an opponent that, uh, that your fighter would learn from as well as defeat. You know, you just don't want to pick an easy guy, but you want to pick a guy who's going to test your opponent, test your fighter to see how he has improved and how he's coming along because a lot of times when you got guys that's got those uh, 35 and old records, you know, if you look at them real close to their record, you see that they fought a lot of tomato cans coming up, you know, and then, you know, you check the guys' records that they fought, you know, you kind of see that they could be legitimate fighters or they can't be. So there's a lot of a lot of tangibles that goes along with to bring my father along. You don't want to. You don't want to put over Maxine, but you don't want to put him in too easy. So you know it's pretty. It's a technical situation, and you got to have guys that's, that's pretty pretty fluent in, in that matchmaking deal because you want to bring them up to where when they come into a situation where it's not going as well as they thought it was going to go, that they won't fold up and give up. They'll still fight on. You know so. You want to test them along the way, so that, that's critical. It's definitely critical. Buster Douglas is with us here on Sports Byline USA. He certainly posted one of the all-time great sports upsets, certainly in boxing. When back in 1990, he was in Tokyo, took on Mike Tyson, who was just terrorizing the heavyweight ranks, and uh, he upset him. We'll talk to him about that fight as we continue across the country and around the world Good to have you with us on Sports Byline. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. In the 1980s and 90s, New York City needed a tough cop like Detective Louis Scarcella. 
putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it in the world. He was the guy who made sure the worst killers were brought to justice. That's one version. This guy is a piece of shit. Derek Hamilton was put away from murder by Detective Scarcella. In prison, Derek turned himself into the best jailhouse lawyer of his generation. And the law was my girlfriend. This is my only way to freedom. Derek and other convicted murderers started a law firm behind bars. We never knew we had the same cop in the case. Scarcella. We got to show that he's a corrupt cop. They can go f*** themselves. I'm Steve Fishman. And I'm Dax Devlin-Ross. And this is The Burden. Listen to new episodes of The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to hear episodes one week early and ad-free with exclusive bonus content, subscribe to True Crime Clubhouse on Apple Podcasts. You're listening to Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast. Buster Douglas has joined us on Sports Byline, former heavyweight champion. And is it hard to accept that at any time any athlete, especially in boxing, is a former something? Right. Because usually it's more than just a boxer. It would be one time a football player, basketball player, baseball player, even a poet. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's a, it's a base, you know, just a talented athlete is what you would, what you would have. Let me talk to to you about that heavyweight fight with Tyson on February the 11th, 1990. You were only 29 years old at that time, and Tyson had been destroying the heavyweight division for three years. Tell me what your mindset was and how you approached that fight. I was pretty determined because I had fought three years ago to my portion of the heavyweight championship against Tony Tucker, and I learned a great deal in that fight. Uh... And really, in, in all my fights, I would learn something, take something away from it. And by the time that when Tyson and I, had, I had my opportunity to fight for the title again against Mike Tyson, I was fully, fully ready and seasoned as a professional fighter. You know, I felt very positive and determined that it was nothing that I hadn't been through before. Even though I was going against this mammoth of a champion, I felt very comfortable because you know, by then I was I was seasoned and and uh, ready to go, and it was totally focused. That was the main thing. And I had my focus, and I felt as though I was a professional, and there wasn't nothing that I hadn't faced before. How hard was it for you to kind of close out your mind to everything that everybody was saying, and the fact that you were a forty-two to one underdog, and everybody thought this was just going to be an easy. Uh, tomato can type of fight for Mike Tyson. How hard was it or easy was it for you to kind of focus that out? Again, it was just something that I had worked my way into, you know, the way I figured it. It was obvious that I was um, looked at as just a, you know, stepping stone to his next big fight. But again, uh, because of my experience and what I went through, Leading up to get to that point, you know, I had to fight some pretty tough guys to get the opportunity to fight Mike Tyson. You know, it wasn't like that opportunity was given to me. I had to fight for that right. You know, I beat some pretty good guys leading up to the fight because between the fight with Tucker, which was in '87, and, and fighting Tyson in '90, I had a six six feet six fight winning spree, winning 
streak going on, and I was fought some pretty good fighters, and and a lot of those fights that I was wasn't looked at to come out of, you know, and I was really determined and willing. But you know, no matter how well you look, that's just how much better Tyson was looking defending his titles against some pretty good fighters. So. No matter what, even though I was feeling my best and looking my best, it wasn't enough to turn people's heads, but I still got the opportunity to fight, and that's all I was concerned with. What was your strategy for that fight, uh, Buster? Well, just to be first and, you know, hit and let your hands go. My father always said, don't be sitting in there waiting and looking. You know, let your hands go, and, you know, you let your shots will, you will create shots by throwing shots. And it was always something that he taught me, you know, just to, you know, put your, force your will on the man as well as he's trying to force his on you. And it's just, just for determination and, you know, will. Early going in that fight, uh, were you surprised uh, by the fact that really you took an early advantage and really uh, Mike Tyson did not look like he was that interested in the fight? You did have a 12-in reach advantage on him. Right. No, 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 no more than any other fighter leading up to that fight had on Tyson, you know, 12 inches or more. Because he was only 5'10", and he was just wide and a big little man compared to, you know, the heavyweights who were normally 6'3", 6'4", 6'5", now they're 6'7". But, you know, just ability comes down to ability and skill, which I have tons of, and it was just putting it all together and Staying focused and, like my father said, letting your hands go. Let your hands go, baby. Don't sit back and wait. Don't wait on him because you're a killer. By the fifth round, Tyson's left eye was swelling shut from your many right jabs, and Larry Merchant had one of the great lines I've ever heard. Well, if Mike Tyson, who loves pigeon, was looking for a pigeon in this bout, he hasn't found him. Tell me how you read him in the middle of that fight. Well, you know, I fought on maybe... uh, Four or five undercards of Mike Tyson and co-featured a couple even before he came out to fight his main title to finish title. So I got to see him quite a bit up close and live. And, you know, he was impressive, but he wasn't impressive to the point that I didn't think he could be beat. You know, it was all about relaxing and letting your hands go and uh, letting the chips fall where they may. But, you know, the main thing was just attacking. Don't sit back and work. But my father always said the worst thing you can do is just Going there and not let your hands go and lose the fight without giving it, a, you know, giving yourself a chance, you know, by going to war and you know seeing what happens or you know. And I had to go through that. I mean, because when I when I came turn, came back as, to boxing, I was 21 and I turned pro, so it was like a five year layoff between my my fights, and it was just like getting re re involved in professional boxing and it was an amateur as the last time I had a competitive fight. So it was just a, a relearning tool and it was a process of learning that learning the trades and, and enhancing the skills that you had leading up to as an amateur leading up to a pro. So it was a crash course in a sense when I turned pro. So a lot I had to learn, and I listened to my father a lot because he told me a lot of listening to his experience and what he had to go through as a professional. Did it alone because he he had a red, big red Samsonite suitcase, and he would go 
to a fight and, you know, fight a guy nine times out of ten in a guy's backyard. So I had an opportunity, and my, by the time I started fighting and uh, became a contender, I had the advantage of having some friends with me where it kind of kept me relaxed leading up to the fight. Give me your perspective on that eighth-round controversy on the count. You go down in the eighth round, and the referee reached nine, and there was some controversy about that count. Tell me your perspective on it. Well, to me, it wasn't a controversy. I beat the count clearly. I could have gotten up before that, but I picked up the count immediately, and it was like at three or four, and I just relaxed a little couple more seconds to do a quick body check, and I was still, I was totally coherent. Then I continued to get on up because the referee was a professional referee. He looked at me. He said I was clearly ready to go, and I was because I was ready to go straight down the middle. And he pointed because I see he he got he became brand new once he dropped me. You know, if you, you know, new life was you know breathing to him, so to speak. And uh, I was just waiting to come right down the middle with the right hand because I knew he was coming in and so called to finish me off, but the bell rung which was, you know, good. And I just went back to the corner, gathered myself, and came back out. And I won the ninth round big. Almost knocked him out in the ninth round. Yeah, well, in the tenth round, you were overpowering in a rapid four-punch combination to the head and knocked Tyson down for the very first time in his career. Did you know at that time that the fight was yours then? No, I thought he was strong. He was he was strong. Only time I felt that it was over was when I seen him reaching for that mouthpiece. And I knew the count had to be getting close to ten by the time he started reaching for the mouthpiece. And I knew if he was coherent, he'd have gotten up and then let the referee get the mouthpiece, which would have allowed him even more time to kinda gather and get himself together. But when I was seeing him reaching for that mouthpiece, I knew he was hurt. I felt I felt oh, he he was hurt real bad because I knew the count had to be getting close. How hard was it losing the title after you had become heavyweight champion then? It was hard, but by that time, I tell you, it was so much had been taken out of me because I had to go through so much between winning the title and and then defending the title with the court cases, and you know, it just became kind of overwhelming. It's pretty unfortunate that it came to that point because. To me, it was like no defense ever. I, I never got a chance to really enjoy being a champion because I had to fight to be considered the heavyweight championship. Leading up after winning the title, it was an ongoing fight. It was never a moment's peace. We have about a minute left. When you think back on your career, the moments and, and everything, what are you most proud of, Buster? That I made it. That I made it to the top and I succeeded in a childhood dream. And it wasn't easy. Because starting in my father's basement at 21 and then getting fights wherever I could, leading up to the big one, was just an amazing adventure, but I wasn't having no other way. When you look back on your life and your career, besides the championship, what is that one moment that's kind of engraved in Buster Douglas's mind? Well, it was just hard work and determination. And, you know, setting your mind to a goal, no matter what other people think and succeed, sticking to your guns and succeeding. And then have an opportunity to fight, fight for the heavyweight championship and, you know, obtaining it. It's just like taking my taking the ball from my father once his career was over and taking it all the way and crossing the finish line. 
Well, Buster, I want to thank you very much for spending some time with us here on Sports Byline, talking about your fine career in boxing and also your life as well. You were a true champion. Thank you very much. Come back and join us again here on Sports Byline. We loved it. Appreciate it. Thanks again for having me. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Buster Douglas with us, and I don't think anybody will ever forget that 1990 date with Mike Tyson when he won the championship. He was a 42-1 to underdog, and he finished his career with a final record of 38 wins, 6 losses, and 1 tie. We continue on America's Sports Talk Show. You have been listening to Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast on the 8Side Network. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. In the 90s, New York detective Louis Scarcella locked up the worst criminals. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it. Then jailhouse lawyers took aim led by Derek Hamilton. Scarcella took me to the precinct and lied. 20 men eventually walked free. Now, in the Burden podcast, after a decade of silence, Louis Scarcella finally tells his story. And so does Derek Hamilton. Listen to The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.